White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 566. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. We are back. Andy Fix is here. You are here, Andy. I am here. Yes, I'm Van Allen Plexico. I am here. Andy, I'm back from Dragon Con and ready to talk about Babylon 5. This is the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. How are you tonight, sir? I am doing excellent, and I cannot wait to hear about the Dragon Con stuff. I, I'm excited about that. Well, there's just a couple of things i got to throw in about it, and then um, and we'll get into our two episodes for tonight, because we got two interesting ones that I'm very curious to see what you thought about. Uh, two very different ones. Two that could have been first season episodes in a way. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I'll just throw out there real quick. Dragon Con just happened Labor Day weekend in Atlanta. We didn't get to have it last year in 2020 because of COVID, of course, the virus. So we had it for the first time in two years this this past weekend. It was like, you know, coming back home again. It was glorious. And in turn, it's, it's the biggest fan-run pop culture convention in North America. It's not quite as big as Comic-Con, but Comic-Con is a corporate-run movie promotion machine. This is like the fans just getting together for a giant geek family reunion, and it's amazing. Okay, at Dragon Con, they have, they actually used to have an entire Babylon 5 programming track, like its own room and like, you know, 15 hours a day of programming just about Babylon 5. Not anymore, but the Babylon 5 track, the Stargate track, and a couple of others kind of combined, and now they have what's called the Dragon Con military sci-fi media track, and it is such a great track run by, uh, by Karen uh, Henson and her husband James is the assistant. They are so awesome, and they run a great track, and, in, and they have me on a lot of panels every year, which is glorious. I get to be on panels with uh, John Hudgens, who was the guy that did the Babylon 5 music videos you know, several years ago for JMS, and I get to be on panels with Keith the Candido, who's the, you know, the, the, uh, he's written a lot of Star Trek novels and, and co- Farscape comics and stuff like that, and a bunch of other people. And it's just such a great track because we talk a lot about Babylon 5 as well as other shows like Space 1999 and Farscape and Firefly and everything. Um, but for for the couple of the couple of tidbits, I just wanted to throw out for, for you guys. We did two panels that were Babylon Five related this year. One was the women of Babylon Five, and I recorded it. And if it sounds good enough, if the audio quality is good enough, I'm going to try to post it as a special uh, early post for the patrons in a week or two. So patrons will get to hear the 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 women of Babylon 5 panel and I'll let you guys know when it's going to post it'll be on the website and on the app the uh, the Patreon for our page so that was really cool and I I'm going to work on that when I get a chance the other Babylon 5 related one was uh one sh- one year wonders shows that got canceled too soon and we talked a little bit about crusade 
I uh, didn't record that one, but I'll talk a little bit about it when the opportunity arises. But it was neat to talk a little bit about, you know, how cool Crusade was and kind of what it could have been and all that. And then one other Babylon 5 adjacent thing that was neat is that they had these challenge coins. Now, I'm not big on, I don't know a lot about challenge coins, but apparently that's a collectible thing. And the, the one that somebody handed me on the track, I didn't even look at it. They just they handed me this coin in a little plastic container. And I'm like, oh, well, thanks. That's really cool. I appreciate it. I stuck it in my pocket because we're about to do a panel. I looked at it when I got home, and on one side is the logo of the military sci-fi dragon contract, which is, which is a dragon wearing a, like a Stargate uniform, which is awesome and hilarious. But on the other side is... The Babylon 5 station and a shadow ship, and it says, Our Last Best Hope for Peace. How cool is that, Andy? That's very cool, and I saw that picture you posted on Facebook. I thought it was very sweet. Yeah, it is a neat thing. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, trying to talk the wife into going to Dragon Con next year. Maybe the year after, but I, I oh. have almost got her on board. That would be epic. Oh, my gosh. If, if we could do that... Um, in fact, I even mentioned to James, I, to, to, he's, the, you know, he's the husband of the lady that runs the track, and he's, he's like very involved. He's the chief assistant, obviously. Um, and I said to him, I said, if, I said, if I was able to get Andy down here, would you give us like a panel to basically do our show in front of a live audience? And he's like, that sounds like a good idea. So we might get to do, <laughs> we might get to do this show or maybe like a season wrap-up type show and have some guests with us or whatever, you know. Live from DragonCon yeah. in front of an audience. How awesome! That would be insanely cool. I I, I will add that to my argument for, with the <laughs> wife, and uh, I think that might push her over the edge. That would be wow. awesome. Well, the the minute you tell me you're coming, whatever year, the minute you tell me you're coming, I'm going to start bombarding Karen with messages saying, "Can we do it? Can we do it? Can we do it? Can we do it?" <laughs> and not stop until she says yes. So that would be so great. That would be so great. Yeah. And cool. I, I think I can get her to do it. I, I think she I think she would do it if I begged and begged and begged. So that would be cool. And I think people would really enjoy it. So because they're always looking for new you know ideas for new panels. So well anyway, we'll see how that goes. That's something we can put out there in our in our bucket list of things for our show to do is to have a live. You know, well we could do it anyway there if, if we didn't. It would just you know that would be like part of the official programming. So that would be cool. Well, anyway, a couple of quick announcements for me. Just remember, folks, we're only we're down to only doing two episodes per epi- per per podcast because we want to be able to, you know, a not take up two hours of your time or hours doing these. Uh, we were able to get down to about an hour, hour and a half or less, and we don't have ads on this show. So if you want to support, and, and hopefully you appreciate, folks, you appreciate that you're not having to listen to a bunch of ads interrupting our, our programming. Because if there's one thing that drives me crazy is listening to a program, a podcast I enjoy, and it keeps getting interrupted by ads. I really hate that. I understand that people have to do it. They have to you know, make a living or whatever. But we don't have ads. Instead, we have our Patreon. So um, you heard a little bit at the beginning of this, and we'll have a thing coming up in the middle. But just bear in mind, if you're considering whether or not to help support the show, that that is in lieu of you having to listen to annoying commercials. So hopefully that's a good um, a good persuasion. Go to www.b5review.com. B5review.com. Did I get it right this time, Andy? You did. Ha-ha! <laughs> yes, I'm getting better. All right. Well, anyway, uh, let's go on. Do you have any announcements? I do not. All right. Well, I think we're ready to talk about the show then. All right. And and bear in mind, everybody, that we save our spoilers for the spoiler space at the... We go through the jump gate and come out in spoiler space 
at the end of the episode. So if you don't want any spoilers beyond this episode, uh, just when we say we're done with episode, you know, with the second episode we're going to cover, go ahead and bail out there, and don't come back to the spoilers until you've watched the entire series. Okay, let's see what we want to talk about. Our first episode is season two, episode five, so two hundred five, the long dark. Now. First up, I want to get your feeling about this. I've always, in my mind, associated this episode with the with 204, uh, A Distant Star. They're almost like a, a pair to me for some reason. Does that is that remotely true to you, or is it just something in my head? To be perfectly honest, I kind of blocked this episode completely out of my mind. I remember bits and pieces of it, but it wasn't until I sat down to watch it uh, the other day. That, that it actually hit me what it was what it was about and then then it started to come back so I never really associated it with anything well that's interesting because that's me and 206 the other one we're going to talk about tonight I actually um, when I was trying to remember what spider in the web was I I was way off when I actually started watching I'm like oh this is the Adrian Barbeau episode oh the guy with yeah. the hand oh I was thinking it had something to do with bester and all that so but it was a Talia episode. It just wasn't Bester. So, all right, well, we'll get to that one. All right, so production number 205, originally aired November 30th, 1994. We're almost to the end of 1994, the first uh, first year the show was actually on the air, the first calendar year. And uh, interestingly, this one was written by Scott Frost, who is famous for being like the co-writer of Twin Peaks with, with, uh, with Lynch. Um, yep. And and you could kind of tell it was had a little horror horror twist dark element to it for sure, and it was directed by Mario DeLeo. So, do you want to do a summary of this one, or you want me to? Uh, go ahead. I want to hear your summary of this. Well, I always just steal the one from the Lurkers Guide, which is like the most vague thing <laughs> in one sentence you could ever imagine. So this one, they said, when a cryonic sleeper is awakened, a deadly evil force is unleashed on the station. That sums it up pretty well. And then I noted noted that there's a B-plot, kind of, which is Franklin wrestling with having a relationship with Mariah, which is just Franklin being inappropriate yet again. (laughs) And then there's the C-plot is Amos, although it looks like a miss, struggling with everything that's going on and with his past. And we got a few things to talk about there. Anything we need to add to that? Uh, No, that pretty much sums everything up. It really did. All right, notable guest stars this episode. Anne-Marie Johnson as Mariah Cirrus. I wasn't sure if it was Maria, Mariah. I think it was Mariah. Dwight Schultz, old Howling Mad Murdoch. He parlayed that part on the A-Team into guest appearances on Babylon 5 and Star Trek and a bunch of stuff. Yeah, um, plays a crazy guy. Yeah, it really was a stroke of genius, I noted, to cast him in this role. If only he didn't slightly overdo it in places. He gets a little... <laughs> he, he comes in at one of our categories, I'm sure, for both of us. <laughs> yeah, he gets a little Murdochy in places, you know. He, 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 he basically turns into Howling Mad Murdoch in places and a little, little cartoony. But uh, do we know Anne Marie Johnson from somewhere? I feel like I know her, and yet I can't place her. I... I no, I don't know her from anywhere. I I, I just can't place her anywhere. She she's kind of got a, that look to her that seems like she's familiar, but she yeah. she wasn't a very good actress, so mm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a note here that both of these episodes could have been season one episodes, and I mean that in a good way and in a bad way. You know what I mean? It's like they're they're episodic, and they both seem like something that Sinclair would have dealt with. Right, I agree one hundred percent. It was early season one that these two would have fit in. 
Yeah. I mean, this one, this one we're talking about right now, I can see Sinclair grabbing the PPG rifle and a vest and going in to shoot this thing, just like, you know, just like in Infection. Right, exactly. Yeah. I thought I thought so. I thought you were probably there. All right. I, I have moved random factoids slash notes a little higher, I, and I, sometimes I remember that and sometimes I forget it, but I've, I've changed it in my template now, so hopefully I won't keep messing that up because I think this is where we need to talk about that. So random factoids and notes. Garibaldi was a Gropo, a ground pounder during the war, and it's not too much of a spoiler to say that we will see the Gropos a bit later in this season, for better and worse. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, it's. I and thought, I always. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I always assumed that Garibaldi was uh, a fighter pilot because mm-hmm. he knows how to fly a Star Fury. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure how how the Gro how the Gropo learned how to to fly the the state of the art fighter starfighter but uh, it's kind of interesting that is true well you know what's you know i know that we le- that we later see him flying a star fury have we seen him fly one yet he flew one early in season one because i remember we talked about it because you even questioned how is it that he flies a star fury okay all right i i, I, I remember the conversation coming up i don't know if he actually flew one or didn't he fly it against the raiders at one yeah, point or not pro- probably i yeah uh, yeah huh I don't remember what his star fury looks like. I know Ivanova's got like the big Russian phoenix, you know, two-headed, two-headed uh, eagle thing on hers. But right. I can't remember what his looks like. That's interesting. Huh. Well, uh, in any case, uh, yeah. I, see, I would have thought he would be more like special ops or something rather than just a infantryman. But I guess maybe he was younger. Right. So it was a few well, years Well, and he, he, he still, I mean, he could have been like a Marine who are kind of like the... Uh the elite of the the ground pounders. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, I thought it was funny that astronaut vol- that an astronaut volunteers to be frozen and sent on a long journey in space, um, and then expresses shock that time has passed. <laughs> right. That was. She's yeah, like, yeah, there, time has passed. Wait, they froze me and sent me off into space, and now time has passed. I can't believe it. And I'm like, why can't you believe it? That was odd. Uh, a couple of things. We see a Markab speaking in the council chamber. That will be significant later, but I'm not going to say how. But we do see a Markab. They're popping up here and there. That's just one of the species of alien. Kind of like a less scary-looking Drazi-type alien. Right. I always no- got those two confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Markab are a little lumpier. <laughs> not yeah. as... not A as- little, li- little, little more orangey or a little lighter in shade anyway. Yeah, that's true. There were no Centauri in this episode, and I had a note here that you can imagine if there had been an extra five minutes of story time available, we would have seen Londo hiding under the bed somewhere while loudly complaining they haven't killed this thing yet. That's 100% Londo. We, we did see Londo. Oh, we did? Yeah, in the, in the very beginning when uh, when uh, Amos was going crazy and, and he was laughing because Amos was chasing Jakar down, and then Jakar uh, sicked him on, on Londo, and he, he then chased Londo away. I thought that was right. hilarious. You're right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. I actually watched this episode before Dragon Con, so I made notes, <laughs> but I've already forgotten half of it again. And I've seen this episode probably four or five times now. It's just, this. I yeah, it's been a few days. Um, we still haven't seen Talia Winters so far this season, to my, the best of my knowledge. And I had a note here, one would be forgiven for thinking she left the show. Because we're now, right. what, five episodes in? Yeah, and she still hadn't appeared. So, But then we get a very Talia-centric one on, in the next one. So just put that on hold until the next episode. And there's one last note I have. 
Um, talking about Sheridan up to this point, JMS said, there are really two ways to deepen a character and give the character a dark side. One is to do something to them before you meet them, which, which they're still recovering from, and that would be Sinclair. The other is to meet them and then drop them down a well. In a way, Londo is illustrative of the latter. You get to know him, and he's funny, colorful, and then you start to move him. So suffice to say that Sheridan is going to end up getting more and more conflicts and getting booted to the head, and as someone noted, caught in the conflict between being a good officer and being a patriot. And we see a little bit of that in the next episode, by the way, which can sometimes right. be the same and sometimes be very different things. Yeah. So what, what JMS is saying is people were kind of complaining that while Sinclair had a backstory and, a, and was complex and dark and everything, Smiling Johnny shows up smiling, and they're like, "Well, he's not interesting because he just shows up and smiles and is the happy, you know, the happy golden retriever, you know, or whatever, and and tries to fix things." And JMS is saying, "Oh, he's going to have conflicts and dark sides. You just haven't seen them yet, and that's fair." Yep. So let's get into it. Did you have any? Did you have any factoids and notes before we get into it? Uh, you know, the only factoid I have is probably best save for spoiler space. Mm. Fair enough, fair enough. Good deal. Good thinking. All right. So, what was your high point of this episode? You know, (laughs) this is my least favorite Babylon 5 episode of all time. So, wow. Yeah. Like I said, I didn't really remember much about it. And there's a reason why, because when I sat down to watch it, I just, I hated this episode. And I I, I struggled to find a high point. I honestly did. It was, it was. I thought it was poorly written. I thought it wasn't very well acted. There was just so little to to really for me to grab onto and say, "Hey, that was cool." Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, um, I had the high point was probably I said, "Here's what I literally said in my notes: the battle with the creature, probably, though I think it could have been even better. The creature didn't really do anything except appear, get shot, disappear, get shot, and stand there and get shot." Yeah. And and <laughs> that almost made my low point because when they were supposed to be shooting the creature, they the way they were holding their guns, it, it wasn't like they were even shooting at anything. I mean, there was no recoil, there was no aiming, there was, and then most of the time they put their muzzles down when the stuff was still coming, when the 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 PPG stuff was still coming out of it. So it was like that was vi- I thought that was very poorly. And the creature effects themselves were just the outline of the creature. I thought that was a, a chintzy way to do it, but. Yeah, it reminded me of the Forbidden Planet. Yes, yes, and, which was you know good for the 1950s when Forbidden Planet was done. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Uh, all right, well, I so you yeah the whole episode basically for you was a low point. This is not going to be a fun conversation because I really hate this episode. I, I'm I'm getting that, but that's okay. That's all right. We're being we're we're, we're here to be honest. So, what was your yep. low point? My low point was the introduction of Amos when he popped out of the uh, the crate right there at the very beginning when the the ship came on board and he felt the presence of the demon creature. He jumped out. I mean, the the, the whole set was. I mean, it was very much like a high school high school musical. I mean, he jumped out, you know, made the big appearance and started going all crazy and stuff. It just seemed really overdone. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that we're gonna have a new Orenzento. <laughs> for for season two here my low point was the cringiest moment to me 
was when Mariah passes out and then she wakes up, where am I? And Stephen says, my quarters. They were closer than MedLab. I'm like, oh, yeah, Stephen. Yeah, they were closer than MedLab by like two feet. And you're like, hmm. And then, a, and you're like, oh, but I'm sure he didn't mean anything by it. And then they kiss. And then to just put the cherry on top, he tells her, I don't think this is appropriate this particular I don't think this is appropriate right. this particular time. Dude, you took her unconscious body back to your quarters and then you tell her it's not appropriate. Wow. They, yeah, they Wow, really Steven. The, right. They really ramped up the creep factor on on uh, Good night. The Stephen and and Garibaldi and Sheridan even point that out at one point. <laughs> he said she's in my quarters, and they both look at him like, "Oh, really?" <laughs> oh, wow, that's unbelievable. I have an, I have to note though, at the time this episode first aired, there was a good bit of criticism on the internet or wherever we were seeing criticism back then about the scene where Sheridan says, "Break out the heavy weaponry," and Ivanova just reaches under the counter and pulls out two big rifles. <laughs> yeah. the, the the implication of the criticism was that they must just keep those big guns just sitting around under the under the console and she can just whip them out. But I take issue with that. I think it wasn't that bad because one, I think Ivanova was prepared and had already brought them in there uh, from the weapons locker they were no doubt stored in normally because she knew this was coming and she wanted to have them ready. And the expression on Sher- on her face and Sheridan's face backs that up because she gives this look of, I've got you covered, and Sheridan's facial reaction is like, oh, well, good job. You know, you can see his yeah. – first he's like surprise and then approval. So he clearly didn't know those weapons were going to be there, which kind of puts the lie to they just leave him sitting around there. Um, I think he would have known it if they'd been there. So, you know, I don't think that's a low point. I don't think it's fair to say that was really stupid because I think that's just a way people chose to interpret it, and I don't think that was accurate. So there's my uh, right. low point. You know, I, I will say that uh, it was interesting that everybody that was attacking that monster was wearing body armor except for the two command staff. <laughs> um, that, well, and if you think about it, they had Garibaldi in there, they had Ivanova, and they had Sheridan all attacking this this supposedly super scary monster that they didn't know what was going to happen. Major Atumbe was probably on the sidelines, like <laughs> just rubbing his hands together, just all excited about <laughs> taking control of the station when they all got wiped out. I mean, it was it was it was pretty bad. I just live for the Major Atumbe references at this point. <laughs> it's my favorite thing on the show. <laughs> Oh man, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. He was running CNC. They they woke him up to go run CNC while they chased the monster around the station. I'm sure. I, I uh, thought it was a little. Cr- I mean, you, you know, Star Trek gets banged on a lot for sending all the the command staff on the away teams, but this, sure. this was just as bad. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But Sinclair would have done it too, though. You know it. Been, he would have. You're right, and he did. He did a couple times, but at least he put on the body armor when he went into the the action. He did. There's no way this creature's going to get loose on my station. I'm going in and getting it. That would have been his his reaction. Um, all right, we've got the here we go. The Orenzento Ari Benzane overacting award. I think that we can just go ahead and and give it to Dwight Schultz. Is that fair? That is totally fair. He did. I mean, there were parts, there were some scenes where he did really, really good. The quiet scenes, which is really, yes. you know, unexpected for, for, for his acting style. Yes. But yeah, when it came to the crazy parts, he, he really ramped up the crazy. 
That is 100% what I said, that when he's running around raving and screaming, he just goes 170%. Howling mad indeed. But, but, but in the scenes where he's just talking to Garibaldi, he's actually pretty good. Yeah, he is, and that was that that fits another one of my categories. So yeah, yeah, there we go. Okay, uh, so we're zipping right along with this episode. I figure we would. Most Babylon Five scene. Uh, I believe it was the uh, the uh, the a- the alien in the uh, council chamber when he was talking about the um, the shadows gathering their army and the the great darkness. Um, oh, I thought yeah. that was very uh, was very that the Mark Babylon was that Five. Was that the Marquette? Yeah, that was the Marquette. Yeah, that was the Marquette when he was. And I know that. Somebody else mentioned it as well, but it was definitely the Marcab that that gave the whole speech about how that they were gathering the 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 um, shadows were gathering their armies and all that. So yeah, I thought that was uh, again very portentous and very Babylon Five. And and Jakar is like sitting there with popcorn, like yes, yes, tell me more. Right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it's it's it was brought up again later. Uh, I think by I forget who else mentioned it. But yeah, but that was definitely that scene that that laid laid it all out. Oh, Jakar had the picture in his book at the end. Bingo, that's uh, mine. Of, of that alien, yeah, that's mine because I picked that Jakar looking at the book of Jaquan, and there's what appears to be a, an ancient ancient illustration of the same creature. Because for me, the reason that's the most Babylon Five scene is a there wasn't a whole lot of other Babylon Five related stuff in this episode other than them just going on a mo- <clears throat> on, excuse me on a monster hunt. But also because that tied this creature in with the shadows and with Jakar and his whole, you know, trying to prove that they're out, that there's something out there, and it's been it's been there before, and you know, increasingly we learn that the that the Narn have had an encounter with this dark force. So that right. that was about as Babylon Five as this episode got. Although I have a note here. We get another in what is a what is becoming a long line of scenes of Sheridan and Ivanova standing in front of the command uh, the CNC window, <laughs> looking out at the galaxy while talking about how worried they are about something. They do that a lot. Right, I agree. It reminds me of the end of a lot of first season Space 1999 episodes where after they've overcome whatever cosmic challenge nearly destroyed them. You know, either John and Victor or John and Helena stand in front of the window and look out at space and 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 wonder about it, and you hear do 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 do, followed by <laughs> bounk and how down bounk. But they have that, but they have that great moment at the end of every Space 1999 episode where they do that exact same thing. But there's Sheridan Ivanova going, yeah, trouble's coming. Oh oh, what are we gonna do? Um, okay, what was your favorite character moment this time around? My favorite character moment was when Garibaldi and Amos were chatting in the brig, and they were uh, telling their their war stories. And um, Garibaldi had a very uh, a very uh, sensitive side, I guess would be the best way to put it, a very compassionate side to him when he was talking to uh, Amos about the war. I thought that was pretty cool. It was. I agree. That was a very good, very good moment. Very good scene. I, I had just a, a little more lighthearted one, yet kind of dark at the same time. Which is where, when Jakar meets Mariah, he says, take my advice and go back to the time you came from. The future isn't what it used to be. <laughs> right. That, that was my number two character moment. That was a, a really perfect uh, Jakar line. I mean, there's just so much to unpack in those two sentences. Like, like she could, A, like she could go back into where the time she came from. And then, B, the future isn't what it used to be, which is a great line on its own, but also kind of sums up how things are getting really bad there, you know. Right. So, really good. Really good line. 
Really good moment. It was. Um, funniest moment. I, I'm going to give you mine first for change. Let's see, because I've been kind of asking you. Uh, I had two. Um, you were about to accuse... I forgot. I kind of forgot the context now. You were about to accuse the Centauri ambassador of being in league with the devil, which might not be too far from the truth. Oh, that was... Um, somebody said that to Amos. Was it Garibaldi or Sheridan? Yes, I believe it, it was Sheridan. Yeah, which might not... That was interesting in that we know that that's true, but I'm not sure that Sheridan should know about that yet. Exactly. Well, and with the, the last episode, I think it was, or two episodes ago with the, uh, the uh, Technomage scene, he got a little insight as to uh, oh, how, yeah. devious, or how devious um, Londo is. That's true. That's true. I forgot about that. I forgot that John has kind of seen... A little behind Londo's curtain now, as weird as that sounds to say. All right, my other funniest moment, because I had to, I couldn't decide, um, is that when Garibaldi's having lunch next to a Drazi, the Drazi's lunch is still moving. <laughs> yes, that yes. is that was my funniest scene as well. That was hilarious because it just like the tentacle comes out and slaps on the table, and it just kind of jolts you, <laughs> and then he offers him the food, and Garibaldi's like. Oh, no thanks, I'm trying to quit. <laughs> yeah. I thought that Garibaldi could have had a, a better line there, though. Something like, I, I generally prefer my food to not be trying to crawl away or something. But, you know, right. yeah. But that's pretty good, though. That was that was funny. All right. So did you have funniest moment? Is that that was my funniest moment. Yep, same thing. Yep. Good deal. Good deal. Um, I, This is tough. This is tough. Who won this episode? Not you, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I thought about this one for a while. It was tough, but I'm going to say Amos won this one because he finally got released from his his inner demons. Yeah, no, you're right. That's who I have. I, I said not a lot of big wins this episode other than defeating the creature. Steven doesn't really get the girl. She doesn't really win because her husband dies. She's 100 years out of time. And, uh, and again, though, I still don't know why that was surprising to her since she had frozen herself on a long voyage starship. I mean, whatever. All right. And everybody else ends the episode scared to death of what's coming. So Amos is the only one that kind of chalks up a win and walks away happy, as far as I know. Right. All right. Well, we agree. All right. Here's this is going to be very interesting. What rating? <laughs> All right. Remember, we folks, we have a scale of one to five, and you can use point five. So let's hear what Andy said. This one was. I I gave this one a one star. Wow. You know, I was yeah. I I was thinking that that having a, a the doctor be a, a key player in it might improve things but it, he turned out to be such a creepy jerk that wow. even that didn't work for me so yeah i did not like this episode at all. i did not enjoy watching it i kind of shook my head and, and just was like what the heck was that 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 seemed like a, a not just a first season episode but a bad first season episode so yeah i was disappointed yeah, I, when when Franklin can't even save an episode for you, I know that it didn't go over well. With you. <laughs> right, and it had a cool little spaceship moment in it too, with the with the uh, the old sleeper ship. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I did like a lot of the debate over like um, where it came from, how it changed course. You know, right. the idea that it was like the creature was more intelligent than they thought it, it could reprogram the computer to change the course. And if it hadn't, I like to, I like the idea too that if it hadn't gone past Babylon 5, it would have gone out to Zahadoom. That's cool. Right. Yeah, that was cool. I, I did find it a little disconcerting <laughs> when, when Sheridan, when they first, you know, 
figured out what it was and we're bringing it on board and he's all chipper and excited about it you know he's like hey this is pretty cool this is like you know something <laughs> from the past it's like dude there are probably two dead astronauts on there i mean if <laughs> yeah. you know if, if if we ran across like a space capsule with two nasa astronauts on it it would be kind of like a somber moment but he's like oh cool i gotta poke around in this ship i thought that was a little weird yeah again it's it's the rider just and it's frost not thinking deep enough they're on the surface but they're not thinking about what they're actually saying i think and that's yeah that's not good yeah. all right i gave it a 1.5 so just a little bit more than you and i gave it the 0.5 mostly for the connection to the bigger plot and to zaha doom and the shadows right. other than other than that i agree with you um let's see yeah i, I had a note here that there the, the b and c plots were really just parts of the a plot more than usual and so if you didn't like the a plot you're really just kind of out of luck right Right. Yeah. And, you know, they, they had the makings of an interesting episode there. They, it, they, it, it was just not executed well. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and I noted, um, and we've kind of talked about this already, but I'll just say what my note was. I said, I think in some ways this was made a better first season episode. It would have worked better. Uh, I think I'd have liked it more in that season because this is the kind of thing Sinclair was good at. Go down and tr- go out and track down some creature that's come on board the station and shoot it. That's not really Sheridan's thing going forward. So if he did more of this later, maybe, but this isn't really something he does going forward. And so it kind of feels like a vestige, uh, like a like a ghost limb, you know, from a past body or something. Right. Just odd. So I would uh, be very interested to see when this episode was actually written. Yeah, that's a good point. It could have been held over from and originally written for Sinclair, and they had to tweak a few things. I can totally. Yeah. Totally see that. All right. Well, that was the first one out of the way. Um, Again, uh, we have to thank the folks who keep our program going. So go to www.b5review.com. That's the site where you can access all the episodes of this show uh, all at the same time, any of them that you want to. And there's a big button that says become a patron. You click on that and it takes you to my Patreon page where the, the White Rocket Patreon page, where you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month and get your name added to this list. Here are the current folks, and we have a couple of new ones, including at least new, one new one that came aboard for the Babylon 5 show. We, you know, A lot of them are from other shows that our network does, but we thank them all every episode. But we have some new ones just for the Babylon 5 show, which is very exciting. So we have to thank, <coughs> excuse me, we have to thank Chris and Clinton Stewart, Carl Von Drunker, Christopher Burleson, Jeremiah Schumann, Patrick Hayes, Samuel Salvatore, Allison Rich, Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, J.J. Piggies, Logan Chilton, Matthew Flowers, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden, he's a dark horse for the Heisman, Ann Kangian, A.U. Falling Up, Ben Bloodworth, Chris Thrash, Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, Eric Morgan, Bobby... Uh, I need Amanda hug and kiss once again. <laughs> God, they hate me. George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming, John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B. I'm sorry, Mickey. Mickey B. I'm not feeling too well tonight. Missing my cues. Phil Davis, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf. Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, there goes Davis. WDE Richie, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard. And also, Winston Body, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, Brandon the Smith, Brian Albanese. Thank you, thank you, Brian. Cato the Barner, Chris the Hilton. Unfortunately for uh, Cato and Chris, we're in, we're inserted, we've been inserting new people in between them and the other these. So we have a lot of these now. 
Colby Butler, Danny Flack, Darius Benton, David Simpson, Di Bama, Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Kenoy, Kevin Mahan, Lane Middleton, Melissa Blackstone, Mike Finley, Algorithm, Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, Snowdog, Stephen Houston, This is the Year, Tim Pittman, Tony Perry. I did get a I did get a funny uh, line from from the person who puts this is the year Bo Nix has improved so much on this new offense. He's focused, he's having fun. I wouldn't be surprised. He's like, hey, you can't you can't skip my name on the Babylon Five show. I'm like, dang, you're listening to that one now. I have to say it there too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tim Pittman, Tony Perry, Alex Wynn, Auburn Elvis, Ben Amos. Hey, there's we have an Amos here. Ben Riggis, Bill Miner, Charles Mooney, Chris Como, Colonel Dad, Daniel Barnett, David Smiley, Donnie Reynolds, Elizabeth Donald. Ice Cream Clone. I'll buy this for a dollar. It's another new one. James Taylor, Jason the Weasel Skull Albrecht, John Stubbs, John Zavachin, Joey Miller, Joseph Iliff, JT Jarhead, Justin Bean, Kathy Bright, Kenneth Brent Rains, Mark Squire, Michael Howlbrook, Mustang Smoke Camaros Every Day. Okay, fine. Paul Bankson, Public Landowner, Robert Drain, Russell Souther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland. I saw them at Dragon Con, Ruth and Darren Sutherland. A lot of the people on here I usually see at Dragon Con weren't there this year because there was a lot of people that weren't there, but I did see Ruth and Darren. They were great. Spanky, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson. Why am I even here? Andy Fix has all the talent and carries the show. <laughs> Brent Rumble and Chris. And plus our one-time anonymous donors, we thank you all. Go to www.b5review.com and come up with some clever name for yourself if you want to to embarrass me further and make Andy laugh at me. All right, are you ready for part two, Andy? I am, and I swear to God, that is not me that, that put that name on there, or anybody I'm related to. I want to find out who that person is and send them a Christmas card. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough point. All right. Our other episode we're doing tonight is 206, A Spider in the Web. And as I said, this is one that I honestly couldn't remember what it was about. So it's it wasn't very memorable going in. But I got to say, while I was watching it, I thought it was uh, not that bad. And then we'll we'll talk about ultimately evaluating it so right how would you describe this one uh in this one a representative from the mars government comes to babylon 5 to meet with a uh, corporate representative from earth who has an idea about helping uh mars achieve their freedom without military conflict with earth and things uh develop from there yeah they certainly do so it's a Talia-centric episode, and that's very welcome. I love Talia, and glad to have her on, on here as often as possible. This one was originally called A Trick of the Mind, so they found a better title, I guess, although I'm not thrilled with a spider in the web either. Uh, the production number was 206, originally aired December 7th, 1994. So that means it aired on the 50th anniversary of D-Day. Is that not correct? Yeah, I believe. No, no, of Pearl Harbor. No, right. so 50, 53rd. I got so I got D-Day and Pearl Harbor dates mixed up. So yeah, the the 53rd anniversary of Pearl Harbor. Uh, this is one of our last Larry Dottilio episodes, Andy. What are we going to do without Larry? And there was a Jovian sunspot in this episode as there well. There was! I was so excited. <laughs> I, I used to just hate it. Now I'm like, oh, it's good old Larry with a Jovian sunspot. Yeah, and of course, of course Sheridan would like those since it looked like it's made out of orange juice. Uh, uh, John Sheridan and the Orange Juice He's like Anita Bryant or something Plugging the Orange Juice Directed by Kevin Crimmins 
Notable guest stars. All right, buckle up, because here we go. For a little nothing episode that actually never goes anywhere, this one has a lot of guest stars. Adrian Barbeau, the great Adrian Barbeau, is Amanda Carter. Yeah. Michael Beck is Abel Horn. Yeah. James Shigeta as Taro Isagi. Now, I've got something to say about Adrian Barbeau, obviously. I'll get to that in a minute. James Shigeta, is he not the guy from Die Hard? Holy cow. That could very. <laughs> I think he's yeah, the corporate Mr. boss. Of, uh, yeah, the guy that, that owns the building. Nakamura or whatever. To yeah, knock, Nakamura. Taka, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it was. Because I, I just see him saying, I guess you'll just have to kill me. And then they do. Right, you know, uh, right, right, right. Hans that, Gruber. You know, I, I knew I recognized him from somewhere, but I mm. wasn't sure exactly where. So, I, think he, uh, I think he had longer hair here. But yeah, this he was, was from Die Hard, for sure. He was in Midway. Um, oh, yeah. I, I have the handy-dandy uh, IMDb pulled up right there, here. There you go. Yeah, he, he was the guy. He was uh, um, he played uh, Takagi. Yeah, yeah. Yep. He had longer hair. This was six years later, so he was a little Correct. older in this. Correct. Jessica, The great Jessica Walter as Senator Voudreau. Um, uh, Alan Porter and I reviewed Grand Prix uh, uh, last year. The the uh, the James Garner and Jessica Walter Formula One movie from back in 1966, and that was great because she plays. Was she was gorgeous. It was so funny watching watching Grand Prix. I didn't realize she was in it. Yeah, and you see she, her on the a fantastic movie. Yes, it's wonderful, and you see her on the screen like, "Oh, that's a hot-looking, pretty young lady." And then you realize, "Oh my gosh, it's Archer's mom! It's the mom from Arrested <laughs> Development." <laughs> couldn't quite, couldn't quite put my brain around that. Yeah, Archer's mom. It is <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, and also, you know, uh, Arrested Development mom or grandma. Yes. <clears throat> um, we had Annie Grinley as thirteen slash psychop, and I believe. This was the debut of Jeff Conaway as Zach Allen. It was indeed his very first episode, and he played just such a minor little, tid, you know, a, a bit role in this. It, it was surprising that you know somebody of his, mm-hmm. I guess, stature would be introduced in such a. I mean, uh, Keffer got a much bigger introduction than than Zach did. No kidding. I know. I thought about that, and my theory is that they probably wrote this episode with that being just anybody. And then when they got Jeff Conaway, because they knew they would need a new assistant for Garibaldi, they must have thought, let's just like slide him in here casually so that when he becomes a bigger deal, you already are used to him being around. And it's been pretty smart. It worked because when he actually does start getting like important lines and becoming an important character, no spoiler here, but uh, come on, it's Jeff Conaway. You know he's going to do something. When he actually does start being a more important character, I, it, it's not like he came out of nowhere. I was already used to him being on the show. So I thought that was actually pretty smart to kind of just subtly drop him in in the background of scenes you know, a little bit, and, then, and then, then you're used to him. Right, very organic. Yeah, yeah. I was like, because this is the first time it ever dawned on me. I always used to kind of wonder, when did he first appear? And I always kept thinking, it's like he's just there. It's not like he has a big entrance. He's just kind of one day he's not on the show, and one day he's like been there forever. And I'm like, well, where did he come from? And now we know. Yeah. Because if you watch this episode out of context, you'd be like thinking he was already on the show before this, wouldn't you? Right. The way the way that Garibaldi was talking about him, it's like, oh, it's Zach. Yeah, Zach will take care of it. Exactly. Like, like Zach is one of his regular guys. 
Exactly, and I think that was on purpose. I think that I think it's partly that, and also yeah. if they if they air them out of order, you can't introduce him in one and then have him appear earlier. So, right. Very true. Yeah. So it was probably pretty smart all the way around, but it, it was disconcerting since we were conscious of it. Okay. So a lot of guest stars. Right. Of course, Adrian Barbeau's been in everything, and I'll, she'll always be the driver of the Lamborghini. But uh, in Cannonball Run, but she did a lot of other things too. Oh my! <clears throat> All right. I mean, if, I, if, yeah. if if early onset puberty were a thing, then then she caused it with a whole generation of, of teenagers. <laughs> that's, that's right. I don't suppose you got a driver's license tucked down in there, do you, Sugar? <laughs> oh my goodness! And I was in it for the car mostly. That black Lamborghini. Right. Right. But, uh, yeah. And. Mike Beck. Mike Beck was uh, the lead in Warriors, one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. See, I knew he'd been in something, but I couldn't place him, and I didn't go look him up. Yeah, yeah. Because okay. they, they played that on HBO all the time in the early 80s, and I love that movie. Interesting. All right, I'll check that out then. Do you have any notes before? Because i got several. Uh, well, I've got uh, Adrian Barbeau's character. What, her last name was Carter, and her great-grandfather <laughs> was one of the first guys on Mars, was John Carter, which was a nice callback to uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs' character, John Carter, who went wow. to uh, famously yep. went to Mars. This is true. Um, yep. That, that was the only thing I had. I had that, and I had uh, Mr. Beck being in Warriors. But, yeah, so that, yeah. That, that's my tidbits. Good stuff. And I've, got, I've actually got an addendum to your Amanda Carter thing. I had to write this all down because I was just like it was blowing my mind. All right. So there's John Carter of Mars from the Edgar Rice Burroughs novels and the great Disney movie that was unfairly shortchanged. And here we meet yep. Amanda Carter, also affiliated with Mars in this story. Her great-grandfather's name was John, as you said. Well, get this, Andy. My high school principal's name was John Carter. His <laughs> wife – oh, we always used to laugh. I used to laugh about that. Nobody else did. His wife was my chemistry teacher in 10th grade, and her name was Amanda Carter. <laughs> Blew my mind when she said that her name was Amanda Carter. Yeah, That's hilarious. So there you go. I mean, they're both uh, Carter is not an uncommon name, and Amanda and John are very common names. So I mean, it, it's still kind of funny. <laughs> it's crazy, yeah. Um, all right, uh, a few notes. I'm going to zip through them pretty quick. I, again, I thought this was another first season episode, or could have been. Um, I could see Sinclair doing most of what Sheridan does here. It makes me wonder if, like you said, they had some left over that they kind of adapted over. Um, I, we got a big dose of smiling Johnny when Susan goes off to tend to the diplomatic crisis. Johnny's like, "It's good to be the captain," <laughs> which is pretty funny. Yeah, uh, Talia's back. Yay! We finally see the San Diego wastelands that we've heard about forever. So they're apparently where there's a secret evil lair hidden under the radioactive San Diego wastelands. And you remember we talked before about JMS picked San Diego because he got mugged there, right, or something like that. Nope. Yeah. So Not he his nuked favorite it. place. No. Uh, Taro Isagi, the the character that our diehard actor played, I looked it up because it sounded like that name was significant. And do you know what Taro Isagi means in Japanese? I don't. It means potato quickly. <laughs> which is what I say at McDonald's when my cheeseburger comes out and I'm wanting my french fries. I say, potato quickly, taro isagi, taro isagi. See, I knew that isagi meant quickly because they say it in, in Shogun a lot. Whenever the samurai are wanting like the people to hurry up, they're like, isagi, isagi. And I looked it up, and it's potato quickly. So there you go. Um, I, I was expecting some sort of deep philosophical meaning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you came you to the wrong that on me. <laughs> came to the wrong house, brother. To quote, to quote, Captain, uh, another captain, captain, and master and commander. 
Captain Aubrey. Um, John Sheridan says we should. Sheridan gives this whole long, like deeply felt emotional um, soliloquy about the Takar aliens, culminating with we should be seeing the Takar on Babylon 5 very soon. No, we never do. That's pretty much the last we ever hear of them. That, you know, that could be the theme of this whole episode, actually. But yeah, God, yes, that, you're right. That, that scene right there makes me yearn all the more for seeing a series based on John Sheridan as captain of the Agamemnon flying around yeah. the galaxy having these really cool encounters. That sounded like a really cool scene out of a TV show that we never saw. I got to be honest. my It's not bad, but my least favorite Sheridan is the Sheridan that's like, what I saw out there over those three days changed my view of the universe, this crazy universe we live in forever. I just hate when he does that. I mean, he's yeah. such a good in-the-moment, present act, man of action that when he does that little dreamy, you know, that's just not him. It, it sounds more like Delenn or something, and I'm just like, eh, don't do that, John. Just say, it was cool, and drive on. You know? <laughs> he just, just said, you know, Susan, that was really cool what those aliens were doing, man. It was crazy. All right, anyway. So, uh, yeah, this is you're right. This could be, I think what you were alluding to just now is we could call this episode loose ends that are never mentioned again. Right. In more ways than just the freaking Takar. Right. Yeah. And, but that's something that maybe for spoiler space. Yes. Jovian sunspot sighting. I noted that with three exclamation points. <laughs> I've got to think because JMS and Harlan Ellison were so close. I've got to think that that Abel Horn was an homage to Harlan's demon with a glass hand. Have you ever seen that episode Ooh. of the of uh, it's not Night Gallery. It's Outer Limits, maybe. Right, Outer Limits, and I have seen that, and I did not make that connection. That's a cool connection right there. Well, he's got the funky mechanical hand that's got a computer in it yeah. and stuff and all that. Yeah, yeah so yeah. Demon with a Glass Hand, yeah, that was actually... And the actor, this has always been so crazy to me, the actor that stars in Demon with a Glass Hand is um, the FBI agent from Greatest American Hero. Holy cow. <laughs> the, you know. Your mind makes these connections that are amazing. <laughs> I would have never have even. Was I barely it, even remember that show existed, and here you are. Oh yeah, that one guy that was on the. Oh, was it? Yeah, that was him. Robert Maxwell, I guess. I think that was his name. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, when Sheridan meets with Garibaldi, I'm just sitting there waiting for the first. Because remember, one of the things I'm paying attention to this time around is how long it takes Garibaldi to trust Sheridan. Right. Because I was very impressed. Remember, we talked about this before. I was very impressed that that Garibaldi didn't immediately embrace him. Like, oh, you'll be great, you know. Because Sheridan tried to, right? Sheridan's like, we'll get along just fine. Smiling Johnny, smiling Johnny, and Garibaldi's like, I don't know you, you know. Yep. <laughs> so I'm waiting for Garibaldi to. I'm waiting for Sheridan to call him Michael because we we you know he will. But I like that neither one of them refers to the other by name in this entire scene. And then later he says, right. Mr. Garibaldi. So. Right, it's and coming. Garibaldi even, yeah, Garibaldi even mentions at one point. I think I forget who he's talking to that um, he doesn't even know Captain Sheridan that well. In, in this episode, he said that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Um. Oh, when we first, first, first meet Zach Allen, we don't even see him. We hear his voice over the link. Right. So they really do slide him in very subtly. Then when you actually do see him, he's just like part of a crowd there in the hallway with a whole team of security. Yep. That's interesting. Um, 
And then my last note, again, I told you I had a whole bunch of little ones. There's someone on the station called Control who communicates with Bureau 13. At the end, the person speaking to the computer calls Control he. Hmm. So spoiler space coming for that. We can talk briefly about that if you want to. Yeah. All right. What was your high point of the episode? You know, this is going to sound really strange, but the high point for me was the whole uh, the the Mars politics thing. I just I, <laughs> I find politics fascinating, and when they started working that into it, it it was it it just gave a a kind of a broader view of the world building and of the the meta arc and all that stuff. So I thought that was kind of cool. It, it caught my attention, and it it um, um, it made me want to know you know what more was going on with between those two. That's fair enough. I, I, I agree with you. I think that was well done. But I got to be honest. On this show, I am honest. Yep. For me, the whole Mars thing start to finish is probably my least favorite plot. I, I It's important, and I get it, and it shows like colonialism and imperialism and... You know, Earth are being the. It's, it's very much like what the Expanse does with the same exact subject. You know, Earth right. kind of dominating Mars and Mars being in the Expanse. It's a little further. That Mars is already independent and they are not nice because they've been. You know, they feel like they've been trampled on so much. But I just, it's just not my favorite plot line. I'm just, I'm, I'm. Whenever the Mars thing comes up on this show, I'm like, okay, I know Mars wants independence. I get it. I guess I flash back to the expanse and I also flash back to Total Recall. Yeah, right. And, I, and I'm like, you know, I've seen so many Mars once independent stories in my life and read books about it. I'm just I'm it's it's almost obligatory and I'm like, okay, yeah, you did your Mars independence thing. I get it. Let's move on to something interesting. So, you know, but I agree it, yeah. it is done pretty well. And and while the whole Mars once independence thing is a little bit cliché these days, 35 years ago it wasn't quite so much. That's fair. Yeah. It's true. It's um, like people that were that were calling the uh, John Carter of Mars derivative of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, don't even get me started there. Um, uh, yeah, just like Lord of the Rings totally ripped off Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, good lord, help me! All right, um, my high point of this episode was probably just getting to see Talia a bunch, and I gotta say, I hope this doesn't get me in trouble with my wife or anything. I thought Talia just looked great in this episode. I don't know, maybe the remastering of the of the video from the film or whatever. You know, it really picked up well. They had her makeup or done over, but I just think that she looked wonderful during this time. And in this particular episode, she got a lot of close ups. She got a lot of she got to act a lot more in this episode than in yeah. a lot of them. And you I just thought she was great. But she smiled a lot more. She did. Yeah, she, she she's a beautiful woman, and oh. she's usually so stern and and yeah. you know it. I, I don't want to sound sexist, but yeah, when when she smiles, she I mean she really shines. She really does. Yeah, you could see why um, Jerry Doyle Garibaldi, the real actor, actually was pursuing her and married her during this show. Yep. So way to go, Jerry. Um, yeah, she's absolutely stunning on the show, and I told you I got to hang out with her a little bit at Dragon Con a few years ago. And she didn't have anything to sign. She'd come, but she didn't know you're supposed to bring like eight by 10 glossies or anything. So she's like sitting there at a table and she's like, yeah, she says people that have things for me to sign, I'll sign, but I don't really, I didn't really bring anything. And so my girlfriend at the time and I were like, stay right here. And we ran out to my car and I had my Babylon five cards. Cause I was going to play We were going to play in the tournament later that day. 
and I dug out every Talia card in all of my decks and all of my girlfriend's decks, and we, we stacked them up and brought them and gave them to her. And she was that so excited. Cool. Yeah, she was very excited. So she had something she could sign for people then. That was neat. That's awesome, man. man yeah. That's a cool story. Yeah, I've still got a bunch of them. I just gave her all the ones I had in the car. I probably had like 12 or something, so she had some. Um, but yeah, she's wonderful. She left actually the show to go like be a TV reporter, TV anchor woman, which was interesting. And yeah. it says a lot about how much they were probably getting paid and how much she was getting to be on on the screen, which is not very right. often. Right. And she she ended up on um, uh, what was the the cop show? She was on the cop show for a while. Oh yeah, that's true. She kind of bounced around know. a little bit. Right. Not Hill Street Blues, but it was the the other one, the one that was really big. I forget. Uh, NYPD Blue. And uh, NYPD Blue, yeah, she was on there for for a few seasons. Good, so, yeah. well, good for her. All right, yeah, um, yeah, she was always my favorite. That's why I, I was. We were talking. We talked about this on the Women of Babylon Five panel. I was saying that I appreciate Lita, and I love the actress, and you know she's really good. But I said I just love Talia. I just love that character, and I hated that you know she wasn't on the series the entire time. I mean, no spoilers, but obviously, if you've looked at the <laughs> the DVD boxes or anything, you know she's on the series the entire time. Um, okay. What was your, yeah, that was your, what was your low point? My low point was, uh, when John Sheridan was talking to, uh, Garibaldi about the, uh, the digging up Bureau 13 and Mm. he was like, I collect secrets. And it's like, you do what now? And it just seemed like a really lazy way to, to get that information to Sheridan was that he was a conspiracy theory nut that just happened to, to, to you know, stumble across this interesting bit of information that tied into what was going on at that moment. So yeah, I didn't like that at all. I thought that was really ham-fisted and just poorly done. You have touched on my low point. I'm going to go a little further with it though, so I'm going to save it for the spoiler space. So I'll give the I'll I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm totally agreeing with you, but I'm got, I've got a couple other things I want to say about it that I think we should save. So we're going to leave that there. The Orenzento yeah. the, the Orenzento Ari Benzane slash Amos <laughs> overacting award. <laughs> Where are we going with that? I'm going to say, you know, it, it, it seems a little nitpicky, but um, Mike Beck, there are a couple scenes when he really, especially yeah. with his face, what really overacted pretty, pretty badly. When he was but, having the seizures. He, he didn't do it. Right. Exactly. But he didn't do it all the time. And, and the, the other scenes he was pretty solid. And so it was, uh, but yeah, he. It seems weird that we have, you know, two actors back to back episodes that that win this award in the second season already. Yeah, yeah, it's true. No, you're right about that. The one that I and I and I, and I can't believe I didn't think of that when I was writing them down. But <clears throat> the one I noted was the one that was billed as thirteen slash psychop when she does mm-hmm. that. Now he is all ours. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, really. I, Almost, yeah, I almost gave it to and in the very last scene too, when she stares at the camera all menacingly. That that was little, little that much. was a little overdone too. But she had such a small bit part that it didn't feel right to give it to her. <laughs> Fair enough, good deal. Uh, what was your most Babylon Five scene this time around? You know, and <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna laugh at this one. Uh, but I thought the whole introduction of Bureau Thirteen and the con- the, the conspiracy that they had people on Babylon Five. And the whole that that whole mess that there was a deeper conspiracy going on on Babylon Five that's obviously going to you know play into the 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 overarching story 
Um, I thought that was a really cool way to introduce everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I thought that was cool. And especially the first time I watched it. I thought it was a lot cooler the first time I was watching it than I did the second time or third time I watched it. Definitely. Yeah, it... it uh, join us in the spoiler space for some details on this in just a moment. Right. But I actually have the most Babylon 5 scene as... Um, I said, I, I had a note here. I figure Andy's going to say, when you see the uh, the Earth Omega destroyer blowing up Abel's ship several times in the flashbacks, because <laughs> there, there's you some cool ship combat, although it's pretty one-sided. Yeah. Um, but I thought probably, yeah, that last, the conspiracy scene, as much as I have issues with it, it was pretty Babylon 5, so I agree with you. Oh, wow. Um, what was your favorite character moment? Garibaldi had taken uh, w- had walked Talia back to her uh, room when she was in protective custody, and he kind of you know he drops the whole uh, mm. the whole shenanigans thing where he's hitting on her and all that stuff, and they have a real talk, uh, especially about his dad. Anytime Garibaldi starts bringing up his dad, um, <laughs> yeah, I-, I think it's pretty cool. So yeah, that was that was a neat scene between those two. It was it was indeed. I I, I agree that Garibaldi is much more likable when he occasionally drops his act and is more himself. You don't want it too yeah. often, but just remind us every now and then that, you know, there's more going on there than just look at me, the tough guy, you know, shaking down the bad guys or whatever. So yeah, that was good. Um, I thought it was very interesting how we get uh, earlier in the episode when Sheridan asks about Talia's integrity and loyalty and trustworthiness, Susan says, well, as an individual, she's absolutely... But she's extremely loyal to Psychor, and sh- and Sheridan kind of says, "Well, you know, I don't remember how he phrases it. But basically, he's like, which way would she come down if she had to?" And t- and Susan kind of says, "She she'd do the right thing. She's a good person. She'd do the right thing. Yeah. She wouldn't, you know, sell us out to Psychor or something." But then later, um, after Talia has seen a Psychor agent in the operating room in Abelhorn's mind. She then tells Sheridan Garibaldi she didn't recognize anybody or anything. Right, right. Which yeah. which belies everything Susan had said about her, that she did end up being more loyal to Psychor, at least for the moment. Now I'm like, she could still change her mind, but in that immediate moment, her knee jerk reaction was to lie to protect Psychor even when she knows they're doing something bad, and that's not good. Right. Yeah. So I thought that was a really it wasn't a great character moment, but it was a strong character moment. Yep. Um, the other one that I had to ask you about is, this may be what you were alluding to earlier, is when Garibaldi and Sheridan are talking, Garibaldi says, look, Captain, I know you don't trust me the way Jeff used to, but if there's a threat to this station, dot, dot, dot. And yep. I thought it was interesting because he calls Sheridan Captain, but then he calls Sinclair Jeff. Yep, I picked up on that too. Yeah, that was that was a, a, a neat little character moment. I because and not, like you said, not necessarily in a good way, but it, it shows their character conflict. You know, there's a, a little bit. Yeah, they're still getting used to each other. They're still learning about each other. I know you don't trust me the way Jeff used to. I think there's an implied yet in there. Yeah, and we'll see. And see, it's not just I. I see, I don't like the idea that that. And I think it's just Garibaldi saying this to be polite. I, you know, Garibaldi wants Sheridan to trust him. Sure, I'm not sure Garibaldi trusts Sheridan yet. And why would he? Right, exactly. 
Yeah, as as far as uh, Garibaldi knows, Sheridan could be you know one of the the president's stooges that was sent here to you know continue on with whatever shenanigans he started with the assassination, which is what he's supposed to be, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> That's a good point. That's exactly why he was placed there. So yeah, it makes sense that Garibaldi would even think that. Clark thinks that Sheridan is a dumb soldier that's going to do whatever Clark tells him to do. He 100% thinks that. And he knows that Sheridan blew up the Black Star, so he'll also put a little fear of God, a little fear of Earth in the Minbari who are too uppity these days. I mean, it's just so... (laughs) It's it's delicious, all that, right? That that Clark is like, oh, the the Minbari kept vetoing the people we wanted in charge of the station. I'm going to put the guy there that actually blew up their flagship. Ha ha, Minbari, how you like that? So imagine imagine Clark's surprise uh, later in the later in the series <laughs> as things play out. I mean, dang, you yeah. know. Right. All right. Uh, funniest moment. Uh, there was you know, I couldn't really remember anything all that funny um, except for uh, uh, Garibaldi's line. This goes back to when he was, you know, kind of hitting on uh, Talia a little bit when he said, "Ah, that's my third favorite thing," which alludes to a joke, a, a joke he made a couple times earlier to her. I thought that was kind of funny. Got a yeah, out of me. that is kind of a running joke we'll hear from Garibaldi about what's his three or four favorite things in the universe. I like that a lot. Right. Uh, for my funniest moment, I had when he tries to hack the computer and all it does is cause Sheridan's door to open and close, and then he just leaves. <laughs> yeah. He just leaves. <laughs> Yeah, that was, and he kind of had to wait a second to jump out of the door before it slammed shut on him. I thought that was, that, you're right, that is a pretty funny scene, too. And, and Sheridan doesn't even say, Mr. Garibaldi, come back here and fix it. He just laughs and sits down with the doors open yeah. and closing. I'm like, what the heck? Yeah. Okay, fine, you know. He said some ex or some expert or whatever it was, yeah. Let's call IT, call the help desk. Um, <laughs> Got to go, Captain. So, all right, who won this episode? Oh, golly. I, I would have to say that Carter and Mars won this episode because Ooh. there at the end, they worked everything out where even though uh, uh, I think his name was Asoji or Asaji died, his plan for peace on Mars did not die with him. So she she came out, you know, she wasn't exposed as being, you know, a terrorist, even though she wasn't really a terrorist. But, you know, she wasn't uh, politically embarrassed that way. And... Uh, Sheridan worked it out and presented her with a plan that allowed her to take that plan back to Mars and maybe work things out. We'll see yeah. how that works out, but at least for this episode, she certainly won. Fair enough. I think the name you were trying to pronounce was Potato Quickly. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the new name of this podcast. Right. It's Potato Quickly with Van Allen Blixico and Andy Fix. <laughs> it should be, anyway. Um, uh, no, we need to make a t-shirt. Oh, God. There's our first show T-shirt. <laughs> Potato quickly. Merch. The Battle on Fun. Yeah, merch. There it is. I, I don't disagree with you. I hadn't thought of that, but I think that's a good point. Um, I had Talia because she survived. She didn't get murdered. She knows more of, of what's going on than probably anybody else, more than she's letting on. She can afford at this point to be cagey and kind of see the best way to use that information. She didn't just immediately hand it over. Um, yep. You, you might say that she currently has divided loyalties, and that's – I'm just going to leave that spitball hovering over the plate and not say another word. <laughs> Who, all right, so we said that. Who, uh, what was your rating for this episode out of five? I gave this one uh, two stars. It wasn't a terrible episode, but it wasn't terribly fantastic, and for, for the reasons we're, we'll talk about in the spoiler space. 
I originally gave this one a three, but here's what I said in my notes. I said, as I was watching it, I thought this episode was better than I remembered. It has more connection to the rest of the story than I remembered, even though it also contains what essentially becomes red herrings, which we'll get to. But I found I enjoyed it more in the moment, scene by scene, than I enjoy it thinking back afterward. As I was watching it, it seemed pretty cool. As soon as it ended and I thought back about it, I'm like, yeah, that wasn't that great. So I downgraded yep. it from a 3 to a 2.5. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. I, I, you, you uh, articulated the, the general feeling I got much better than I did. So, yeah, I, I, I'm in full agreement with you. It was just odd. I mean, while it was on, I was into it. I was totally into it all the way. But then when it was over, I was kind of like, well, yeah, it's all right, I guess. <laughs> it just yeah. I thought I would be more excited about it than I was. But, again, I think that a lot of it is I was just so happy to see Talia, and she got a lot to do, and that was cool. So maybe that's my point five on the two is, is for Talia. Yeah. All right, so that puts those two to bed. On our next installment, on our next installment of Potato Quickly, we will cover 207 Soulmates, which is, you'll want to hear this one because this one was written by Peter David, and I actually hung out a little bit with Peter David at Dragon Con this year. I uh, His table was down a little bit from mine. I went over and talked to him a little bit, and I was on a panel I was the moderator of a panel on, I think, Saturday where it was me and then Peter David next to me and John Ramita Jr., Carl Potts, and Chris Claremont. Some, I'm sorry? Some other guy. Yeah, that, some other guy. That Chris yeah, Claremont Chris guy. Claremont <laughs> and, and Linda Lessman Reinhold. Linda Lessman Reinhold. And we were talking about Marvel back in the day. But see, they all, all the others came like in a van from wherever they were. And so they got there 15 minutes after the panel started. So for the first 15 minutes of that panel in front of like, you know, 600 people in the ballroom, it was Peter David and me just sitting there shooting the crap (laughs) in front of all these people. And it was fun. I mean, he's got great stories and he's always entertaining. And I knew the right things to ask him because I know him pretty well. Yeah. And so that was a lot of fun. So it's just funny. I was, I, if I'd realized we were just about to cover Soulmates, I would have said something to him about it. But, uh, but yeah, so Peter David wrote the next episode that, that I was just hanging out with. And then uh, and we, get, uh, we get Timov, among others. That'll be fun. And then we do 208, A Race Through Dark Places. I think this is the one I was thinking that a spider in the web was. Oh, okay. Yeah, with the telepath. Another telepath episode, yep. I believe. Right. All right. I think at this point we're going to go – through the jump gate. Jump gate activated. All right. We are into spoiler space. Spoiler space. I don't have a lot of spoilers this time. What do you have? From the first episode we watched, I have the character of Amos. JMS wanted to bring him back as a semi-regular character. Really? He just Yeah. He was originally planned to, to, to be a recurring character over the next couple of seasons. He just never found a good way to bring him back. Which is interesting considering that we have a Gropos-centric uh, uh, episode yeah. coming up. But We do, called Gropos. <laughs> right, yeah. So I, I, I thought it was interesting. I, and I can see how that could have been a neat recurring character. If I mean, especially if you got the crazy part out of him. Yeah, um, but I, I think he more wanted to do that because of of the actor more so than the character, and he just never had a, a way to bring the, the character back in. That's really interesting. I can't imagine what he could have done. I mean, the right. only the only thing that he might have been useful for that I can think of 
is there was this sense that he could sense the shadows or their right. creatures. Right. So he could, like, I guess you could bring him back for In the Shadow of Zaha Doom, and, like, when Morden is walking around the station, Amos would be like, they're here, they're here, they're here! And Garibaldi would be like, oh, here we go again, you know. But I'm kind of glad they didn't do that. Right, I am too. I, and you know, he was when he was in the in the uh, the military. He was kind of a, an intelligence officer more so than a he. He mm-hmm. was more special ops than or communications, special communications or something like that. Um, so he had a little bit more interesting job more than just you know lugging around a gun. So I, I yeah, I, I agree with you though. I'm glad they didn't bring him back. And you know, I think that the more I think about it, the more I feel like that's probably what would have been done with him is in the shadow of Zahadum. And I think that that's what they gave to Talia. Because you remember, yep. she was the one that sensed the shadows. Right. And I bet it would have been Amos. I bet that's yep. it. I bet that's it. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm glad they didn't bring him back then because that was just taking more stuff away from Talia to do. Right. Right. I agree. She would have had very little to do this season. Um, you got the joke about divided loyalties, right? That's the name of the episode where we kind of lose her, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, let's see. Yeah. I remember I said I would reveal my low point of the episode of the last one. The whole Bureau 13 thing to me is the low point because it never comes up again. I mean, you've got Psychor, you've got President Clark and his agents, slimy agents, yeah. like, like we've seen over and over. Did we really need a whole other department or agency on top of that? I think it starts to dilute the enemy by spreading it all around too much. So, do you, do you, you know, know the reasoning why it was never brought back? Didn't it turn out that it they had accidentally stolen it from another show or something? There was a, a pen and paper role playing game that was popular at the time called Bureau Thirteen, which had a very similar conspiracy oriented theme. Now, JMS um. had no experience with that. He didn't find out until afterwards that there that this game existed, but he swore. A, Right when he heard it, he said, "I will never use that again." I thought it was kind of a cool concept, you know, with the with the Clark having some sort of or the Psychor having some sort of um, inside conspiracy that was, you know, doing stuff. It had kind of like the Mission Impossible type thing with the the you know he had the the secret uh, code to get the computer to do mm-hmm. what he wanted and communicate. So it was kind of the secret agency, you know, secret agent type of thing that I thought could have worked, but they never ever brought that back again, and and it could very well be that JMS saw that he what you said that he was he was just getting a little too many you know balls in the air. Yeah, did was it your impression that Horn was talking to a human being or a computer when he would do the cool graphic thing there and talk to somebody? I assumed he was talking to a computer at first, but there at the end. It sounded like that they had somebody else on Babylon 5 who was kind of his control. Well, we know who that was. Yeah. Unfortunately. I think we can say this. We're in the spoiler space now. It's Talia. Right. Oh, dang it. Makes me so sad. Right. Um, and this brings up that whole thing. I'm not going to go all into it now, but... Well, I'm, I'll get to the Talia loose end in a minute, but I just to, to think about the computer, I feel like this is another Larry Dottilio bringing in technology that JMS didn't want in his universe. Because you remember in, uh, in the in, in, was it Deathwalker, that uh, the vicar records yeah. Talia? That's another yep. Talia loose end. And JMS said, I don't want that technology in my universe, the, the android with the robotic brain that can record people like that. Um, 
again, this seems like Dottilio creating this robot. I mean, this 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 computer that's like sentient, and JMS is like, uh, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna do that. So it just seems like technology is out of place alongside everything else. Right. So, um, but yeah, the last couple of notes in the spoiler space I had is, of course, we now know that Control was Talia, which is depressing. And the Talia loose end. She gained telekinesis from Jason Ironheart in Mind War. Her original personality was recorded by Abbott, the vic- the vicar for Kosh, for the fu- for the future. He says, yeah. but yet divided loyalties is coming, and so clearly she would have done the things Lita ends up doing. In fact, I think there was going to be a whole plot line here where where maybe she does end up getting her personality erased, but then they rescue her and and they have that recording of her to restore her personality. Right, and that has everything to do with the actress wanting out of the show. Yeah, right. But I think that Kosh would have been involved in that since he recorded her because, Agreed. of course, she'd have ended up working with Kosh like Lita did. Yep, I, I, I fully am convinced that that would have been the way it went. Yeah, So, but unfortunately she didn't want to and they brought back, um, I can't think of her name, but Talia. I mean, uh, Lita, yeah. So. Yeah. And Lita's fine. Again, I always like to point out, I'm never criticizing Lita Alexander. I, I, she's great. Yep. It's, it's just that I really like Talia. <laughs> right. I don't know. Anyway. All right. Well, that kind of does it for me. Um, do you have any final thoughts coming out of these two rather small episodes? Yeah. It, it just seems like a speed bump for season two. They, they you know, started off really strong and, um, you know, had a lot of uh, arc-centric episodes. And then these two happened. And it just I, – I don't remember my initial reaction when I watched this back in the 90s. But I do know that I, I haven't really, when I do my rewatch, I kind of skip around, um, of course, until this rewatch. But in the past, when I've done my rewatch, I would generally skip over these two episodes. Interesting. Yeah. And the next two are not huge either. But like I said, you do have a Peter David episode that's going to be funny because, you know, Peter's going to do the funny stuff. Right. And, and another telepath episode. Um, I rem- my funny thing about this, I remember when these episodes were airing, I had gotten my roommate in graduate school to start watching it with me. And you know, the opening is the year of the Great War came upon us all. And yeah. this, is a, this is about the time that my roommate was getting impatient. And he looked at me and said, the Great War better come upon us all pretty soon or I'm out of this. <laughs> <laughs> which was fair because they do kind of drag the entire season out waiting for the Great War, which really doesn't come upon us until season three. Right. And, and I mean, in some ways, season two is really season one over again with Sheridan. That's a good point. That is kind a of is. Good point. Yeah. yeah. So, well, just trust out, trust us out there, listeners, that there's really, really good stuff coming. We just kind of got to get through this. Andy, this is the stuff that if this was a modern series, it would have 12 or 13 episodes at most, and you wouldn't be getting these. Correct. Absolutely. And, and I was having that discussion with somebody online just earlier today that, uh, um, yeah, it, they... The way television is made these days, and especially sci-fi television, this whole show would have been handled completely differently. Like you said, we would have had eight to twelve seasons per episode, like kind of like what the Expanse is getting. Yes, and the the episodes would be a lot more dense and a lot mm-hmm. more uh, uh, plot oriented than than what you know uh, these shows. I don't want to call these two episodes filler. But, you know, they're kind of uh, decompressed. The whole season is kind of decompressed. That You don't have the, the rush to get all the information in there because you do have 22 episodes. I mean, it's almost ridiculous. 22 episodes. You think about, you know, shows these days on, like, Netflix or Hulu. Uh, my wife is watching the, the Handmaid's Tale. 
and they are just dropping information. They cram every so much happens in every episode because they only have ten episodes in a season. Yeah, it's just amazing to think. I mean, these episodes, for one thing, are giving characters like Talia more to do, which is nice. But she wouldn't have gotten. She'd have been spread out through like ten episodes. She'd appeared in every one of them, but she wouldn't be able to dominate a story like she does here. Nor would Franklin. Right. Yeah, right, so. exactly. It, yeah. It's, it's interesting to note that come season four, for obvious reasons, they do get <sighs> to that, that point where it is so dense with information. And season four is, is still ranks up there as some of the best television that I've ever seen. I think that almost that season four, just like Babylon 5 in general, the whole five-season story arc, I think season four introduced the concept to television writers and producers out there. Like, holy crap, we can do so much more given what we have. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, anybody watching, if you'd watch this show up to season four and you watch the first six episodes of season four, you had to just be on the floor, just like, I can't, I'm, I'm a blown away. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, yeah. it, it's, it launches into the stratosphere. and that, But really that's is. what you know, we're used to these days. I mean, just watching you know, The Mandalorian, you know, so much happens in every single episode. You're like, oh my God, what, what are they going to drop on us next? Absolutely. You know, it's, it, you're sitting yeah. at the edge of your seat. That's true. That's true. Well, we've got a couple more. Like I said, they're, they're, there's some funny stuff coming and all, but we haven't got to the big boom episodes quite yet, but that's coming. So just sit back and enjoy a little bit more of season one, basically in season two, and it's coming. So, all right. Well, I think that'll do it for, uh, for this installment. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Remember to go to www.b5review.com and, and join, a pay, join as a patron and help support the show and keep us going. All right, uh, Andy, I'll talk to you down the road. All right, sounds good, man. I'll talk to you later, sir. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.